Hello, and welcome to this episode of Women in Engineering, success stories from STEM professionals. Joining us today is Dr. Carrie Jordan, Executive Director at The Carpentry and an internationally recognized leader in data science education. We'll discuss with her transition from engineering to leading a nonprofit firm and the importance of equity and inclusion in STEM. I am your host, Tiffany Tichy, a senior mechanical engineer, STEM advocate, TEDx international speaker, and an internationally recognized author of children's books, including What Can I Be, STEM Careers from A to Z, and STEM Crew Kids Adventures series. I also host the Read It Right radio show on WDRB Media, owner of Drive Edge Publishing and owner publishing consultant of Inspired Authors Publishing. And with that, let's jump right into today's episode. Before we go on here, here's a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, PSNS. PSNS is an award-winning one-stop shop of architecture and engineering excellence. The depth and breadth of their expertise has helped PSNS grow into a firm offering multi-discipline, full-service architecture, engineering, design, environmental, and surveying consulting services. They offer a single source for planning, design, regulatory compliance services on diverse projects across several market segments, including education, energy, utilities, hospitality, entertainment, infrastructure, public improvement, real estate, and science technology. Having proudly served a sophisticated client base operating in numerous industries, they know the importance of developing on-time, cost-effective, and high-quality solutions to the most difficult challenges. For more information, visit psandes.com. That's psandes.com. Now it's time to jump right into the main segment of our episode. Today, I have with me Dr. Carrie Jordan. Dr. Carrie, welcome to Women in Engineering Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is phenomenal. Yes, yes. Well, let's jump right into it. Can you tell us about your journey from engineering school to becoming the CEO of a nonprofit organization? Yes, I. it's a journey that I never anticipated. Let me tell you, coming from Detroit, Michigan, we didn't have a lot of engineering engineers in my neighborhood I'll say but I was fortunate enough to go to a performing arts middle school and then a stem focused high school so I was in the um, applied applied technology program at Martin Luther King High School and I went to engineering school at Michigan Tech University loved engineering I did internships all of that and planned to work for Marathon Petroleum Company company when I graduated with my undergrad. But something or someone, or maybe a host of someone pushed me into graduate school. And from there is when I started to understand how much more there was that engineers could do beyond technical, right? And so as part, as an engineering major, I studied mechanical engineering at Michigan Tech University. I did my undergrad and master's there. I was doing my PhD in mechanical engineering, but I noticed as I was matriculating through undergraduate and graduate school 
as I'm sure you know, there weren't a lot of people who looked like me. It was very frustrating. And I realized that I could focus my graduate studies on building interventions for people of color to matriculate through engineering school. So I sort of switched my focus from mechanical engineering to engineering education. And from there, it was just, again, another crazy ride. I, I, I switched schools. I left Michigan Tech. I finished my PhD at The Ohio State University, still focusing on people of color in STEM, but sort of moving more on the curriculum development side. After finishing up postdoc at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, I didn't know what to do. I was like, should I be a faculty member? Should I go back into engineering? But I landed a role in assessment for a nonprofit called Data Carpentry at the time before we sort of merged. And that's really how my journey, my journey, it was engineering school, a part of student organization, going into graduate school and landing a role in building out an assessment strategy for a nonprofit that was still focused, still in the STEM field, in data science. Um, but it's been quite a journey to say the least. <laughs> love it. Love it. I love how you said you saw a shift and you pivoted and was able to see how it was a need for it. And being able to come through through that journey is amazing. Yes. And so yes. as you talk about the world of nonprofits, how do you see your engineering background benefiting the organization and the causes it supports? Engineers are problem solvers. And I know you know this, Tiffany. Mm -hmm. We can take a huge mess and distill it down and create a roadmap to figure out how to solve it. Whether it's a societal issue, whether it is a manufacturing issue, whether it's clean air, clean water, transportation, logistics, we can take a huge mess and distill it down to this is what needs to be done in order to improve it. This is Here's the process to solve this problem. All of the skills that I learned in engineering school in terms of collaboration, in terms of teamwork, in terms of problem solving, I'm using those skills every single day. Communication skills. I remember being an undergraduate wondering why we had to give so many presentations. Why am I always creating a PowerPoint? There's always like writing a report and creating a PowerPoint and presenting it, you know, in groups. That's all I do now as a nonprofit executive is putting my ideas down on paper, you know, solving problems with my team and presenting that information to our board of directors, for example. So there's so many transferable skills that I'm able to apply as CEO. Love it. Love it. I mean, that's the way to look at it. I love how you was able to say that. Yeah. Transferable skills. That's just it. Mm -hmm. And so we learned so much that problem solving is key. That's why we wanted to. It is. So love that. <laughs> that That is so true. So let's go into equity and inclusion in STEM is a critical topic. So how yeah. does your nonprofit address these issues and what impact do you hope to make in this area? Absolutely. So let me first of all, introduce the nonprofit that. I run, it is called The Carpentries, and we are a fiscally sponsored project that's been around since 1998. Our vision is to be the leading inclusive community teaching data and coding skills. And so we run a program whereby we train instructors to teach open source tools like R, Python, programming languages to anyone who has data 
and wants to learn how to use their data to solve problems. In the past, since 2012, we've taught thousands of workshops in 64 different countries. We have a very active global community that spans all seven continents. And so that means there is no one size fits all approach to involvement. We have to apply our core values in the ways in which the communities we serve need them. And so, for example, a lot of what we're focused on right now is accessibility, which we don't hear a lot when we talk about, when we're having the conversation about equity and inclusion, I rarely hear discussion about accessibility, ensuring that individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing, individuals who may have visual impairment, or even who are on the autism spectrum, right, have access to our resources. So a lot of our efforts are going into ensuring that we have an accessible accommodations form for our community, ensuring that our resources are available in languages other than English. The assumption is, you know, who doesn't speak English? But it's like, you know, many people. And there are so many other languages that people speak who need data encoding skills. Bringing more people of color into data science because data and those who, those who make decisions about us, especially people of color, are using data to make those decisions every single day. And so those are some of the things that, the, I guess the values that we put behind all of our programming are around equity, inclusion, accessibility, having a growth mindset. We're always learning, listening to our community and building programs with them as opposed to building it for them and just kind of handing it, handing it to them. You know what I mean? I think I love how you say you're doing it with them. It's like making sure yeah. they're along, belonging, that they're a part of the whole journey. And yeah. because, you know, you go off of that data. I mean, but you want to make sure you're capturing the right data is the key thing with it as yeah. well. And so I love how you tapped yeah. into that. So choosing a career path often involves aligning personal values with the work mm -hmm. you do. So how have your personal values influenced your decision to lead a nonprofit organization? It was hard. <laughs> This journey has been very difficult. I, I'm going to be very transparent with you because when I graduated with my undergrad in 2006, most of my peers were going off to work for the Boeing company, General Electric, Ford Motor Company, you know, and they were making money. They were building houses and they were doing everything like starting their lives. And I decided to stay in school. I, I, I love education. I've always been someone who is sort of addicted to learning. I remember being in school and getting like a 3.8, 4.0 GPA and still wanting to go to summer school. And my principal was like, what is wrong with you? You don't need, you don't need summer school, right? I've always loved education. I love being a part of just the, the environment of learning. But I also love to learn outside of the classroom. I love to learn by traveling about different cultures. I love to explore different languages. And what I realized when I was in college, being a part of student organizations like the National Society of Black Engineers, for example, there are so many other people who have that same ethos, who want to learn and who want to make a, an impact 
in their local community beyond making a product. We need engineers, obviously, right? I'm an engineer at heart. I'm a problem solver at heart. There are many industries that are super important from, from the healthcare industry to automotive, et cetera. But I wanted to be able to see the impact that I am making directly on people. And I think that was where I found my zone of genius in the nonprofit space as opposed to the industry, as opposed to industry. Being a part of student organizations, building out mentoring programs and things like that, and seeing when the light bulb comes on in someone's mind when they're like, oh my gosh, I get it. Or, oh, my mentor helped me so much. I saw more of that and I saw, I found just so much more joy in being in the nonprofit space, even though it took me a while to actually see money. (laughs) I felt like a student forever. Oh my goodness, it took me a long time to finish my PhD and all of that. But I was so happy. I was happy being able to give back and being able to work for an organization that has a strong mission and that I could see their values aligning with their mission and also the decisions that they're making, right? And that was really important to me in a career. It's more than just getting up, going to work every day and coming home. I need to be able to feel valued. I need to see how the work that I'm doing is directly impacting the community. And I can't, I wouldn't change a thing. I would not change a thing. (laughs) Love it. I love it. I mean, you've tapped into so much where there's a need out there. And I love how you said, yes, I might have despite gone through that and everything, but I've made it through and you're able to share your journey of it. And so as we talk about that experience, can you, you know, maybe discuss any memorable experiences or turning points in your journey that shaped your perspective on the intersection of engineering, nonprofits, and your personal values? Any memorable experience, mm-hmm. the turning points? I think I think one of my most memorable experiences was the first annual convention I attended for the National Society of Black Engineers. So I went to a relatively small, predominantly white institution, Michigan Technological University. It's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, about 10 hours north of Detroit. Culture shock, okay? (laughs) Detroit, and I'm talking Detroit, Detroit, and then going to, to a predominantly white school. And I was part of the student organization on campus, but going to the convention and seeing set at that time, it was probably about 7,000 black people who are also getting their engineering degree. I said, oh, I can, I can actually do this. I can do this. But to take it a step further, to learn that there was a staff at world headquarters for the National Society of Black Engineers whose full-time job was to support the organization and to support the student leaders. I said, oh, you can get paid to do this? Because I, you know, I was chapter president, I was a regional leader, et cetera, et cetera. But to know that I could get paid to do the things that I absolutely love and that I'm doing for free. And so from there, I was, again, you know, I was getting my PhD, but in the back of my mind, I knew I was gonna be a nonprofit leader. I just knew it. After going to that convention, meeting the staff and serving on multiple boards of directors and seeing that there were people getting paid to do a lot of the work that I was doing. 
And again, going back to my point about being mission driven and being values driven, being able to give back and see your impact. I knew at some point that I was going to be a nonprofit executive. I didn't think it would happen so soon in my career. I didn't think it would happen before I turned 40. I was actually very shocked by this, but I knew ultimately it was going to happen and that ultimately I would lead and probably found be a founder of my own nonprofit as well. Wow. I mean, I love it. I mean, it sounds like you saw something in the whole pivot. I mean, yes, National Society, like if anyone doesn't know, that convention is amazing as far as a wake up call because you see yes. everybody's dressed to the T as far as professionalism from the youth, from what they call the Nesby Juniors to the yes. collegiate to the professionals. And so I'm glad you talked about that because it's amazing to see the impact that it's making. And it is an aha moment when you see that opportunity. It is. And so thank you for sharing that. I'm a lifetime member of Nesby. Me and you know yes, each other from yes. this, so it's, it builds the community as well. And so let's talk some more about that nonprofit work. Um, it often involves addressing complex societal challenges. So mm -hmm. how do you and your organization navigate the balance between pursuing your mission and addressing practical issues like funding and sustainability? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> when I tell you this is where we are right now, the conversations around long-term financial sustainability and funding are at the top of mind right now. One thing that we noticed is funding aligns with societal issues so much. It was so, so, it was an aha moment for me during the pandemic because that's when I became full-time executive director in 2020, or I think around April, 2020. And most of the funding that we were seeing, of course, were around, you know, building out the vaccines and things like that. But a lot, that was the same time that there was a lot of racial unrest. And so there was so much funding available for equity and inclusion, for sense of belonging, for, you know, building out programs that would improve inclusion for people of color in every field, everywhere. There were tons of jobs, et cetera. Three years later, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of those, you know, DEI roles that were just kind of popping up, everyone needed to quickly hire a DEI person. A lot of those roles are fading away. And even a lot of the funding for diversity, equity, and inclusion is kind of fizzling out and people are turning their attention on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And for a nonprofit like the Carpentries, who we have a very specific mission and a very specific vision, and we're at a critical point where we don't want to, the ebbs and flows of funding, we don't want to just follow that. We want to stay true to what we know that we're good at and what our community needs. And so it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge, but it's, it's forced us to distill our programming down to what is absolutely essential and critical to our mission. And we are finding partners that believe in that. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that, but it is not easy. <laughs> it is not easy. <laughs> I can imagine you said yes. And so it's constantly changed. That's always constant change. And so making sure you stick to your mission, I think is key yeah. to make sure. And I love that you said that's what y'all are focused on. Yeah. You know, 
let's talk about some advice or insights. Um, could you provide, you know, what advice or insights would you like to share with expiring engineers or individuals interested in pursuing a career in the nonprofit sector? One thing I did before I interviewed for my first nonprofit role was to write down all of the things that were important for me. I think sometimes we go after a title or we go after, you know, a certain company or I want to work for this company. I want my title to be director of X. But we don't consider the quote unquote little things that are not so little. For me, I wanted to be a fully remote employee. I wanted to be able to write. I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to be able to teach because again, I, you know, I have this engineering background. I taught engineering at Ohio State and at Embry-Riddle. I wasn't going to become a full-time faculty member, but I still wanted to have elements of that. So I wrote down all of the things that were important to me, regardless of what company it was, what industry, these are my must-haves, right? And here are some things that I, I don't mind being flexible on. When you have that, you can negotiate your terms. And I think that's another bit of advice that I would tell is aspiring engineers as well, especially people of color. We don't realize that we can negotiate our terms, especially coming from, you know, Detroit, we're just grateful. I'm just grateful that somebody gave me a chance, that someone gave me a job, right? It wasn't until I was in my late 30s that I started negotiating. And, oh my gosh, <laughs> who knew? Who knew that I could say, no, I would like this number. You know, who? I mean, just who knew? Who knew, right? Don't be afraid to know your worth and know your value. Fight for what you want. And I would also say, gone are the days of working for one company for 45 years and retiring. There's nothing wrong with deciding this isn't for me. This is a toxic work environment or this, you know, this isn't, this company doesn't align with my values. I need to make a change. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I, again, loyalty is something that's instilled in us too, just as Black people. It's, and it's it's a beautiful thing. But I think those are some of the things that hold us back from excelling in our careers. Wow, you've been dropping some gems. I mean, thank you for your <laughs> insight. I mean, great advice. I mean, that's the thing. You just don't know until you get some advice and um, that that is some great advice as far as going into the journey. Because, you know, difference between industry versus the nonprofit side. Yes. I mean, tell me just as we talk about that nonprofit versus mm -hmm. in industry, what is your thoughts on, you know, navigating that deciding to go that route versus going to the industry? How, you, you know, mm -hmm. how do engineers, you know, as far as that advice, maybe consider yes. nonprofit? That, that would be one thing because a lot might not know, like you said, um, yeah. you didn't know until you know, but as we talk about that insight and advice, what, what would be a way to say, okay, this is, you know, approach to go. One bit of advice I would say is to serve on a board for a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And there are nonprofits all, all around us. Many of us have a Boys and Girls Club or a YMCA in our neighborhood, um, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, things like that. Those are nonprofit organizations. 
the NAACP, the Urban League, right? Those are nonprofit organizations that all have local chapters, regional, you know, boards and things like that. It wasn't until I served at that level that I even understood how a nonprofit functions, how the finances behind a nonprofit. Many people think the word nonprofit means you can't make money or you, you know, like that you don't get a check every two weeks. <laughs> and that's absolutely not true, right? Serve on a board of directors for a nonprofit. Get involved that way. That way you can understand the ins and outs. And a lot of nonprofits, though we have different missions and visions, a lot of nonprofits function the same way. You can learn as a board member and you also learn about what other nonprofits are out there. I learned so much. So I'm the chair, I'm actually the chair of the board for a nonprofit called Code for Science and Society. And being board chair, of course, I'm able to provide advice, but I'm also learning a lot. And I'm learning about other nonprofits in the artificial intelligence and machine learning space. I'm meeting other leaders. You have access to their newsletters, to their Slack channels. And so you see job posting. So it just expands your awareness beyond what you would know being in industry. Serve on a board. <laughs> I think that's great advice. I think that's, yeah, you get to learn from that experience. Then it lets you know what you want and what you don't want. And that's almost like the whole internship type thing. If you don't know, yeah, so you're trying it out. So thank you for that. Let's just close out. How can people get in touch with you further? I mean, what ways can people get in touch with you to learn more? Yes, that's so nice. Well, I I have a website. It's www.carrieljordan.com. So K-A-R-I-L jordan.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me at Carrie L. Jordan. Always my middle initial. That's my brand. <laughs> so people know me. Um, and I would love to, to stay connected to all of your listeners. I'm very honored to be a part of this podcast. I can't wait to check out the other episodes to see who, who else I should be rubbing shoulders with and encouraging and who else needs to be encouraging me because we are definitely we need that encouragement. We need to support one another. So get in t- touch with me on my website or on LinkedIn. Love it. Love it. You have been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for dropping all the knowledge and wisdom that you've experienced and your experiences with, uh, um, with our guests as far as being able to share. So thank you so much, um, Dr. Jordan, uh, for all that you do and keep doing what you're doing and making an impact. Thank you. And you too, Tiffany. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with inspiring women, engineers, discussions about industry trends, and much more. Go to womeningineeringpodcast.com where you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, may your engineering endeavors be as remarkable as the women whose stories we're sharing Stay curious, keep innovating, and engineer a better future.